Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and my dumbass forgot that I have to record a day ahead of time, so I did not have Wednesday to talk about the NBA. I, of course, talked about the NHL's Southeast Division on the Wednesday episode, and I needed to do the playoff previews for this upcoming weekend, Thursday and Friday. We will do NBA at some point next week. I've got guests lined up for next week. We're going to talk a little more in-depth about some of the teams we talked about on the Southeast Division episode yesterday. We're going to talk to people who cover the Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers, get a little bit more of a snapshot, a little more than the snapshot view I gave yesterday. More in-depth, big-picture understanding, a little bit more of the franchise history and the the tenants that are setting those franchises up for the success we're seeing now after a lull, which is fair to say about both Carolina and Florida for most of the last decade. Today's show, AFC Divisional Round Preview. We have two pretty good games, and I know I'm saying that looking at the matchups on paper we all kind of had some optimism about the wild card round with some of the matchups I, I will say i did call dallas and san francisco being the best game of wild card weekend ahead of time i did say that on the preview episode last week it was the most interesting one from a matchup standpoint it was the best game partly because of the officiating and because both teams had their fair share of galaxy brain moments this week, we have some genuinely entertaining, exciting matchups, uh, some really fun games where we're going to get to see marquee players duke it out. Uh, today's show, we'll be talking about the AFC, our two games to discuss, Cincinnati going to Tennessee, and then Buffalo going to Kansas City. Both of these games are pretty damn exciting. I am very much looking forward to this weekend. But before I get to today's show, do it after to remind everyone to help support the show, support the work I've been doing. I did have a blog about the Rangers go up on Gotham Sports Network on Wednesday. A little bit why I'm so reticent to be excited about how well the team's played through 39 games that a lot of this is fragile and if one thing goes wrong this entire house of cards comes tumbling down and the roster choices they've made have kind of made this the only path forward for at least the rest of this season. That's up on Gotham SN, which you should be following. I do the podcast there. NYG Weekly had Dan Duggan of The Athletic yesterday. Really good episode, so check that out if you get an opportunity. Support the show here. Whatever podcasting platform you like to use, subscribe to the show. If you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave a review, please. Spotify makes you listen to a few episodes before you leave a review. Please do that. Leave reviews. Apple Podcast, you go to the show's page, you scroll past our recent episodes at the bottom, five clear purple stars, hit the one furthest to the right, underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review, please leave a kind review, reviews are free, they don't take a lot of time from you, the listener, and they help me out as a content creator. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop, and we're going to talk some AFC football. with that we will get on into it we will be starting chronologically cincinnati tennessee is on saturday the bengals coming off of their first playoff win in 31 years are going to nashville as three and a half point underdogs the total for this game is 47 so they're telling you they expect this game to be in the mid-20s somewhere in there for the projected or implied score 
Derrick Henry practiced on Wednesday, had contact practice, so I believe he will be good to go on Saturday, first game since week nine, I believe, was the last week he played before he suffered that foot injury. A fresh Derrick Henry is a daunting proposition for any defense. The Cincinnati run defense has been hit or miss this year. Larry Ogunjobi getting hurt this past week in the Raider game is a problem. One of their better defensive linemen, especially against the run. They do still have DJ Reader. You'll have Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson to get after the passer. Their linebackers are nothing flashy, but Jesse Bates is nice in the run game. He can make tackles. Not the best tackling safety in the league, but I would say at least above average. They've got the nice corners in Mike Hilton, Awuzie, and of course, our, every Giant fan's favorite defensive back, Eli Apple. They, the Cincinnati defense will be fine. I am very excited to see just how Tennessee opts to use Derrick Henry after such a long layoff. When you're on a bum foot, and I imagine he's been slowly ramping up his conditioning over the last couple weeks to get ready to practice. This has always been the goal for him to be ready for the playoffs. Tennessee, one of the more less impressive uh, first overall seeds in any conference in recent memory, a Tennessee team that has a loss to the Jets on their resume, a loss to the Texans on their resume. They've they've had some weird games this year. With no Derrick Henry, Julio missed big chunks of the season, A.J. Brown missed some time. I mean, that game against the Jets, Tennessee didn't have either of its number one or two receivers, and Ryan Tannehill had to make shit happen with Derrick Henry, and that they just couldn't. That That's just the way it happens sometimes in some of these games. And... Tennessee has been hanging around now. They've made the playoffs a couple years in a row under Mike Vrabel. They found what they need to be on offense with Tannehill, with Derrick Henry, with A.J. Brown. Last year with Corey Davis, now this year when Julio's been in there with Julio. And they're a play-action shot offense. What they were running with Arthur Smith is a derivative of what you see in Green Bay, what you see in Cleveland, in San Francisco, in Minnesota. They are a play-action-based offense. Now, you, it really does help when you have Derrick Henry back there to sell the play-action because you really can run in any situation with Derrick Henry back there. So, looking at this, Tennessee has been to the playoffs a couple years in a row now. They've been to an AFC title game, which they lost. Last year, they lost in the first round to Baltimore. Lamar got his first playoff win against them. They had a hard time moving the ball. That Baltimore front really clamped down. Did not give Derrick Henry a lot to work with. They minimized his impact. They forced Tannehill to beat them. And the defensive backs did their job. When you're sending that much heat at Tannehill, and Tennessee's offensive line last year was not very good. It's been spotty this year. Everybody remembers week one where they sent the Cardinals had Chandler Jones get, I think, four or five sacks in the game week one because their starting left tackle was coming off of a knee injury and clearly wasn't ready for week one. And it didn't go well for him. It did not go well for the Tennessee Titan left tackle there. Taylor Lewan. I couldn't think of his name. I was Googling it while I was talking. Taylor Lewan, the Michigan product. He had a knee injury. He ended up having to get surgery. So he was playing hurt week one. Chandler Jones ate his lunch. Tennessee's offensive line is okay. Cincinnati will be able to get pressure if they send extra guys, which they did a handful of times against Las Vegas last week. And that Cincinnati defense is opportunistic. It relies on sacks. It relies on interceptions. It is not a... It's not what you would call 
an elite defense. It is not. It doesn't have any truly disruptive players on the defense. They've got a bunch of hard hack guys. They do their jobs. No flash. Plenty of hard work. Trey Hendrickson had a nice game against um, the Raiders last weekend. But this game is going to be interesting to watch because we saw Zach Taylor try and Galaxy Brain that game away. Cincinnati was winning, I believe it was 21-7 at the half. The final score ended up being 26-19, something like that. Cincinnati got out to that lead. They had the weird play that resulted in the touchdown that everybody is still talking about that the referees got wrong with the unneeded whistle, undisciplined whistle, whatever you want to call that referee. Inadvertent, that was the word, excuse me. Inadvertent whistle. That play that's been talked about for the better part of the last few days, that really was the last time Cincinnati really moved the ball with any real frequency. You got to get the guys in that offense in a rhythm. I want to see clear and direct attempts to get the ball to Jamar Chase, to T. Higgins, to Tyler Boyd, to C.J. Uzoma. I want to see Joe Mixon out of the backfield because the Tennessee linebackers are more pass rushing than rundown linebackers, so they're going to have mismatch opportunities there. You're going to you're going to see Burrow out of empty in this game because of the type of defense Tennessee runs. Tennessee likes to blitz a lot. You're going to see Bud Dupree and Jeffrey Simmons coming a lot at Burrow, and Burrow is one of the best young quarterbacks I've ever seen at being able to read pressure pre-snap and knowing to get rid of the ball. And I talked about this a lot in the recap episode and in the preview episode last week. If Burrow sees you coming from the periphery vision from the slot or the second level of the defense, He's just going to call an alert and know he's got to get the ball out as soon as possible. As soon as he hits the back step of his drop, that ball is out, and he's not getting hit if he can help it because he knows his offensive line is not very good. 30th in pass block win rate. You know that offensive line is not very good. So when you do blitz Burrow, you got to be on your P's and Q's because he's going to get that ball out fast. That does mean you're going to have to bear down. You're going to get cheated up towards the line of scrimmage in those situations because you know he's got to get rid of the ball faster, so that doesn't give your receivers enough time to get down the field. So inherently, if you're going to blitz, you're going to have your defensive backs cheating up towards the line of scrimmage because you know Joe's got to get rid of the ball fast. But I will say the Raiders were smart about this. They only blitzed three times. I went through, I looked at a few different places that keep track of that kind of statistic to make sure – They only sent an extra rusher three times. Burrow got two completions of those three, and both of them went for first downs. That just goes to show you the type of player that Joe Burrow is. And being able to read that pressure, especially against a team like Tennessee that relies on a pass rush to protect its secondary, yes, they have Kevin Byard back there, who's a very good safety, but those corners are nothing to write home about. There will be opportunities for Jamar Chase and others to make plays. And that's the real bitch of it, if you're going to send a blitz at Joe, is if you're blitzing, that more than likely means you're playing man on the outside, and that means you got to defend T. Higgins and Jamar Chase one-on-one, and you've got Boyd in the slot. And you've got Uzoma at tight end who's able to make plays with the ball in his hands. Uzoma had a nice game last week. I, let me look at it here. I have it in my notes. He had something like 60 yards received. Yeah, six receptions, 64 yards. Jamar Chase, nine receptions, 116 yards. They did give Joe Mixon 17 carries, and it only resulted in 48 yards. That's partly from coming. That partly comes from running in obvious running situations, which helps the defense. 
I want to see Cincinnati let Joe Burrow throw this ball 50 times and win this game. I want Cincinnati to win this game because it'd be very fun if we got Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen or Mahomes in the AFC title game. And Joe is saying all of the right things. He's one of my favorite players in the league. And he said, I'm very happy for our fans, but they need to realize this isn't something special. This is the new standard. We expect to be here every year from now on. And that is the kind of attitude that alters a franchise. That's the way to put it. Coming into this season, I did not expect big things from the Bengals. I picked them to win, I think, three games in my preseason picks because they just did not look like a good football team last year. I know Burrow had flashes in the four games he played before he got injured, but I I didn't trust this defense a ton. I think the offensive line is proven to be pretty bad. It's just that I didn't know Joe Burrow was going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the entire league against the Blitz. So now that we've talked a little bit about Cincinnati, what they like to do, how they're going to try and attack, Tennessee has lingered. They've always been around. They've had some close calls in the playoffs. They've come up against some buzzsaws. They they beat New England and ended Tom Brady's run there. They lost to Kansas City in the AFC title game that year. They've played Houston once. They've had a few opportunities here under Mike Vrabel to make some things happen. And I have my skepticism of Vrabel as a coach. He does leave he does leave points on the board a lot because he has a defensive background. Of course he was a linebacker, worked at Ohio State, went to Houston, was the DC there, then became the head coach in Tennessee. I wanna see him unleash this offense because I think if they get into a good rhythm, they can make things happen against this Cincinnati defense. And that starts with using the play-action game to take shots. They need to take those shots because they're going to be there. Cincinnati is going to have to play cover one at points here because they're going to need that extra defender down in the box to stop Derrick Henry. And that tells you you're going to have man on the outside. You're going to have opportunities to win. If it's a too high look, that is the other team inviting you to run the ball. Being that Tennessee likes to run the ball, Cincinnati is going to have to change their alignment. Cincinnati cover three mostly. They're going to have the three high pieces over the top and try and keep everything in front of them, and that'll leave the scenes open for Tennessee. But I imagine trying to stop Derrick Henry, you will see a little bit more base defense where you'll have four down linemen and three linebackers than you would typically expect because Tennessee does do a lot of stuff under center with only two wide receivers on the field as opposed to the more traditional three that we're kind of used to in this age of the NFL where 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end is the most common. That's not the case with Tennessee. Tennessee... Tennessee does like to run the ball, so they will have the extra tight end out there, or they will opt to break out a tight end in the backfield to help in the running game. Derrick Henry is going to be the key, and that sounds very cliche to say, but they're going to need some semblance of a running game to make this play-action offense work because they're not Cincinnati is not going to respect the play-action as much if they're not mixing in the occasional run, which Tennessee will do. Tennessee is a run-first team. And we've seen Deonta Foreman, in Derrick Henry's absence, be a serviceable running back. Foreman probably won't ever be as good as he could have been because he tore his Achilles, what was that, three years ago now? It took him quite a while to find his footing at this level again after a pretty good college career at Texas. But I lean Tennessee because they have the experience and they've won some playoff games before. They've beaten some good teams. I don't know how much home field is going to make a difference in this game. Tennessee isn't known for being a crazy home field advantage. And to be honest, I think Cincinnati, I think Cincinnati is 
I think Cincinnati might have more talent than Tennessee when I'm looking at it position by position. I like the Cincinnati receivers more. I like Burrow more. Derrick Henry, yes, over Mixon. The defensive line, I lean Tennessee. The linebackers are pretty mad on both sides. Defensive backs, I like Cincinnati leaning. Kevin Byard is an amazing safety, but the Tennessee corners are not very good. Whereas Cincinnati, I know that Mike Hilton and Wuzier, the other corner, and then even Eli Apple as the nickel or third corner is fine. And then you have Bates, who's a pretty good plus safety. I, I lean Cincinnati being more talented. They've got Ev- Evan McPherson, who's been a really good kicker for them this year. Special teams do matter. Word to my boy John Rivers. Special teams matter. You will have to hit a field goal at some point in this game. You can't lose what you want to do, though. That's the thing. We saw Arizona run into this problem. We saw the Eagles run into this problem where the other team got out in front fast and they got away from what they wanted to do on offense because they had to try and play catch-up. At 14 nothing, you can still mix in a run on first down. You can still mix in a run on second down. And I know that's the antithesis of everything I always talk about, how running the ball is inefficient. You need to have those occasional running plays just to keep the defense honest. You cannot have a 17-7 split at halftime in terms of pass attempts to rush attempts. You just can't. And that's what the Cardinals had at halftime against the Rams when I started recording the episode. 17-7. For both of these teams, that is not going to work. Cincinnati is going to stubbornly try and run the ball, and it helps because then they can use play action off of that. The 17 rush attempts for 48 yards is not pretty. That is not what you want out of a running back of Joe Mixon's caliber. That's why I'm saying you got to get him out wide. You got to use him on screens. You got to split him out wide in motion. You got to get him the ball and let him run some people over. And Cincinnati is going to have to survive. That's the one area I do have for concern in this game is Tennessee's pass rush is pretty aggressive and ferocious, and Cincinnati cannot block to save their fucking life. So if Tennessee can get in Burrow's face a lot, only sending four, then maybe we can have a discussion about Tennessee winning this game. Deciding factors. Like I always talk about, you look at the coaches, you look at the quarterbacks, and then you look at your X-Factor player. Quarterback, I lean Cincinnati. I think Burrow is a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. And that's no disrespect. Tannehill has carved out a very nice career for himself in Tennessee. I think Tannehill is firmly in that ninth or 10th best quarterback range where you could definitely win a Super Bowl with him if you have the right situation around him. And that's all you can really ask for if you don't have a Mahomes, a Herbert, a Josh Allen, etc. Eileen Burrow, coaching Eileen Vrabel. Vrabel's been to the playoffs a couple times now. He has made some dumb decisions in terms of going for it, kicking field goals, punting, and trying to trust his defense a little too much, especially last year when his defense wasn't very good. The defense is better this year. It's still not elite, but it's definitely better. Eileen Vrabel. And then X-Factor player Jamar Chase and Derrick Henry is about as good as it gets for playmaker you want the ball in their hands. It would be very Derrick Henry to come off of a nine-week hiatus and then break off an 80-yard touchdown run on the first play after a kickoff. That is exactly the type of thing that you would see on Thursday Night Football in a Titans-Jaguars game because it feels like Derrick Henry has one of those runs every single year against Jacksonville. And Cincinnati's not exactly the best tackling defense. I'm going... I'm going to hate myself for doing this, but I'm taking Cincinnati plus three and a half because I think this game is... 
within a field goal, I think this is a three-point game. And if I'm getting the points with Cincinnati, that'd be my, that's the only reason I'm really taking Cincinnati is I'm getting the three and a half. If it were three, I would take Tennessee and not feel good about it. But Cincinnati plus three and a half. 47 is interesting as a total. I think there's going to be scoring opportunities in this game. I think I would lean over on 47 if I had to pick one. But I'm going with Cincinnati based on them having more talent. And I think Joe Burrow can withstand a ferocious pass rush. That's really all I got for you on that game. So, continuing along, the other game. There's only two games now. We're down to only four teams in the American Football Conference. Buffalo going to Kansas City. The Bills, two-point underdogs, can't, and the total, 54-and-a-half. This is the game I've been waiting for since August. This is the game I hoped would be the AFC title game. Coming off of last year, I was not sure the Bills would reach the heights they did again last year. I did not think the Bills would be as good. I thought that it just kind of seemed weird how Josh Allen became an MVP candidate after being like a 55% completion guy two years earlier. And it's a really long and winding road that the Bills took to get here. The addition of Stephon Diggs last year cannot be overstated. The development of guys in that secondary, whether it be Trey White, whether it be Jordan Poyer, whether it be Micah Hyde, they are very, very good in that secondary. They've been able to rotate some guys in. They've drafted, whether it be Epinesa, Gregory Rousseau. They've really made an effort to improve that defense. And the offense, you saw it last week against New England on Saturday in Buffalo. They cooked New England. And New England's defense always has good statistics. They don't give up a lot of points because they tighten up in the red zone. They do force a nice amount of turnovers because of how good of a ball hawk J.C. Jackson is. But... To go 7-for-7 on touchdown drives is insane. I mean, let's not sugarcoat. Absolutely ass-kicking. That is an absolute ass-kicking of the highest magnitude. And Kansas City laid out a can of whoop-ass on their own. Stone Cold would have been proud to see these two teams go head-to-head this week. These are the two most exciting quarterbacks in the league right now. I... I would say Herbert is three for me, but Allen and Mahomes can just do otherworldly things with the ball in their hands because of the arm talent they have. And I know arm talent is kind of a boo-hoo word that a lot of the old heads in football don't like because you can have a strong arm and not blah, blah, blah. Josh Allen and Mahomes can throw a football pretty much anywhere on the field you want. And it's fun because these two teams have been circling each other for a few years now. They met in the AFC title game. They played in the regular season last year. The Chiefs won both of those. And then this year in the regular season, right at the beginning of the year, when the Chiefs were in that spell where they started out 2-4 and four, and then, you know, they whipped into shape and turned into the Chiefs, the Bills beat them for the first time. Because last year they played twice, and Kansas City handled them. And on everybody remembers the Monday night game. Because that was the first time we had the Monday night doubleheader because of COVID postponements. Because I believe the Chiefs had a few COVID positive players, so they pushed the game from Sunday to Monday. And the game was very bleh because the Bills sat in a too high look and dared the Chiefs to just run the ball on them. And the Chiefs are more than happy to hand it off to Clyde Edwards Elair over and over again and pick up yards in a way that we hadn't really seen Kansas City do. And Kansas City has had weird stretches where they just haven't been able to run the ball at all. And 
to a lesser extent, that's been fixed down the stretch here in the second half of the 2021 season. But we do have to talk about the AFC title game last year, too, because there was that feeling of the Bills were just happy to be here, that this was their coming out party last year's play- regular season in the playoffs where they cemented themselves as a genuine contender. But we expected Kansas City to be there in the AFC title game, and no one was really surprised that Kansas City won. And that was part of my apprehension about the Bills coming into this year was that was probably the best version of the Bills we were going to have. They are, they're probably better this year. I mean, they went 0-6 in one-score games this year, which is more a reflection of luck than anything else. That's just unfortunate business. There's no real other way to put it. But when teams meet repeatedly over the course of a two-, three-year window and in these kind of big stages where it's in prime time or it's in the playoffs, and one team consistently beats the other one, then it starts to become a trend, a pattern. You start to try wonder if the other team can actually do it. And then this year on Sunday Night Football, when the Chiefs were in that weird spell and Buffalo, Buffalo gave it to them. Buffalo won 38-20. to They handedly moved the ball. They really made Mahomes' life miserable. He had 54 pass attempts. Only six of those 54 pass attempts are more than 10 yards down the field. And that tells you all you need to know about how teams have adjusted to playing the Chiefs in 2022 after Mahomes and Andy Reid have kind of been fucking up the entire league since Mahomes became the full-time starter. We all saw the adjustment. Brandon Staley did it last year for the Chargers in that game in Arrowhead, the first start Justin Herbert made. And they sat in a too-high look the entire game and said, if you want to win, run the ball. We dare you. Run the ball. And that is good game management from the other side because – I w- if I lose to Clyde Edwards-Elair or Darrell Williams or Jarek McKinnon, I can live with that. If Mahomes throws for 450 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, that means I didn't do my job as a defensive coordinator. It is always beneficial to encourage the other team to have more rush attempts. You want them to run the ball because Kansas City's best player is Mahomes. If the ball is in his hands, that makes your life harder as a defense. If it's in the hands of McKinnon or Clyde Edwards-Elair, if he's able to play this week after missing last week's playoff game, that is a good outcome for the Bills. And I imagine we will see some more of that. They're going to try and confuse him. They're going to line people up in weird alignments, pre-snap, change things post-snap, whether it's using a robber, coming one of the safeties down and turning it into cover three up high, whether that's dropping and playing that no doubles cover two that we've seen a lot of teams use against the Chiefs to great success at points this season. The problem is I think Kansas City is going to be able to move the ball. I just don't know if they're going to be able to move the ball as much as Buffalo, and that is where the exciting part comes in. I really do think Buffalo can win this game outright, not even worrying about the two and a half. I am very, very excited to see Josh Allen slinging it against the defense with Anthony Hitchens and Daniel Sorensen. Kansas City has gotten by with a good pass rush and Tyron Matthew and a few decent corners over the years, whether it's Sneed or Ward. They've had a, this year they've been able to get by with less than stellar corners, and they live and die by what Steve Spagnuolo wants to do on defense. It's the curse of Steve Spagnuolo as a Giant fan. I am very well versed in this world. He's going to blitz. A lot, and that's going to leave man coverage, and that is dangerous against a team like the Bills. 
we saw what the Bills can do when you sit in man coverage against them last week What against New England. New England plays more man than pretty much anyone in the league. And if you are in a situation where you're going to have to when you're going to have to leave your corners on islands because you are sending blitzes against a team like Buffalo that has four or five targets that can get open and do something with the ball in their hands whether it's Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Diggs, Dawson Knox or you break one of the running backs out of the backfield like Devin Singletary that is going to make life difficult on the Chiefs. I'm very curious to see what kind of stressors the Bills use whether it's a lot of Isaiah McKenzie like it was against New England using him as a facsimile of Debo Samuel where you get him a few touches out of the backfield to kind of make the linebackers and safeties respect the hashes a little bit more, widen the defensive alignment, which in turn opens up the middle, makes it a little bit easier to run the ball between the tackles with Singletary or Zach Moss. These are the chess match things I'm constantly thinking about. If you're Kansas City and you're just going to send a lot of pressure from a lot of different places at Josh Allen, what do you do if you're the Bills? You can do a few things. You can do outside runs. You can do screen passes. You can do the wide receiver screens. You can do the bubbles. You can do some RPO stuff, which is not something the Bills do a lot of with Josh Allen, but you have Stephon Diggs who can make people miss as well as anybody in the league if it's one-on-one. I want to see what the Bills do to try and deconvince the Chiefs from blitzing. And Allen, like Mahomes, like Herbert, like Burrow, if you blitz him, he will just sidestep or shrug off your blitz, your extra blitzer, and he'll just wait for someone to get open down the field because he's got such a good athlete, or he'll sling it off of one foot across his body into a window the size of a mailbox because he's got one of the three best arms in the sport. That is what makes this shit so fucking awesome. You have to think of this like a big game of chess, and all these little pieces are parts of a board, and you're trying to, you're trying to put yours in a more advantageous position than the others. Now, when we're talking about this game, number one, Kansas City's offensive line is so much better than it was last year. Number two in pass block win rate, number three in run block win rate. That is a sign of growth. They got five new starters in on that offensive line, and it has made a world of difference. I do wonder how much Kansas City is going to try to get out in front big and coast like they do in these games a lot. Remember in the AFC title game last year, Buffalo got out to a 10-0 lead, and then Kansas City came roaring back, and Buffalo just couldn't do anything? Remember, Buffalo did not have a rush attempt through the first quarter and a half of that play of the AFC title game last year because they couldn't run the ball. They didn't trust either of their running backs to make a play. They couldn't block well, and Kansas City was able to swirl, play their way back into the game, playing coverage, and that's all you got to do. I know that sounds easy. It's not going to be tomorrow on uh, Sunday when those two teams play. That There are two potential outcomes for this game. It is either a Big 12 game between Texas Tech and Baylor from like 2014 that ends in the 30s or 40s because both of these offenses are just so good and the defenses are less talented. And that's no disrespect. The Bills have a, a genuinely good, borderline elite defense, mostly top five in most of the efficiency metrics. But there's just so much talent on both of these offenses that plays are going to happen. Or this is a chess match. This is a slog. These are teams very familiar with each other that have played three times in the last calendar year. This will be the fourth time in a year and a half that they've played so there's some familiarity there the players are largely the same on both sides there have been some 
tinkerings. Like I said, the Kansas City offensive line is entirely new, but the skill position guys are the same. And for this version of what the Chiefs are in 2022, someone other than Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill is going to have to make a play at some point. Against the Steelers, weirdly, it was Jarek McKinnon. They're going to need something out of whether it be McKinnon, Edwards Elair if he plays, Byron Pringle, Miko Hartman, Josh Gordon, Demarcus Robinson. Whichever one of those secondary targets makes a play, that will go a long way for Kansas City. I'm curious to see what Buffalo does to defend Tyree Kill. We've seen a lot of teams opt for the bracket coverage, which everybody's familiar with, where you have the corner lined up with one type of leverage and the safety with the opposite type of leverage. So the wide receiver has to body between the two types of leverage where the the corner will be giving inside leverage to encourage the wide receiver to go inside towards the middle of the field. And the safety will have outside leverage to keep them away from the sideline. So it that's a chess match. And then how do the Bills decide they want to try and stop Kelsey? Are they going to put a safety on him? Are they going to just say, all right, Micah Hyde, take him away. That's all we got for you, man. Take him away. Don't let it happen. It's a very very real possibility they opt to do that. This is the game I am most excited for. I'm more excited for this than I am Green Bay San Francisco because I want to see San Francisco win, and I don't think they will. But we keep talking about it, and... I think these are the two best teams in the entire league. I think either of these teams would be a worthy Super Bowl champion. I think I could see either of these teams winning the AFC and the Super Bowl. And I can't say that about any of the other games this weekend. That'll just about do it for today's show. About 35 crisp minutes. Not trying to dawdle. Give you all the little tidbits you need to know to be prepared for football this weekend. Tomorrow, we'll do the two NFC games. Monday, we'll recap it all. And then we have guests for Wednesday and... Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. So we're getting the show going. We're getting we're getting some engagement. We're doing things. We're giving you useful knowledge. Okay. I hope everyone enjoyed today's show. I will see you tomorrow.